Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, North. Doing better today. This is Eagle Eyes on Tech. I am Eagle Falcon. All right. So, bonus episode for the podcast. I actually just finished. Normally, I, I save these sort of behind the scenes sort of things until the very end, but I feel obligated to get it out of the way now because I literally just finished recording the YouTube vlog to kind of explain this. So I tried experimenting with uploading the podcast to YouTube. Let me show you the numbers real quick. All right. First Eagle Eyes on Tech that, that hit, well, the first Eagle Eyes on Tech that hit was split into four segments. First segment, 41, 41 views. Second segment, four. Third, three. Fourth, three. The early bird briefings, two, 25, seven, nine, five, 14, one. And the numbers just keep getting lower and lower. Four, two, nine, two, four, two, two, six, six, 23, three, two, two, four, eight, four, four, one, four, three, five, four, four. We saw a little bit of a boost at first, mostly because of artesian builds. All the big ones that were double digits were either because of artesian builds or lapsus. Everything else, single digits. But here's where things just basically come down to me, all right? To go ahead and put together these episodes, these video episodes, it does take extra time. There's no other way to look at it. You know, for me to go ahead and record an early bird briefing, it takes me about a half hour. Roughly about 20 minutes to go ahead and find a story about five to record the four minute episode and the remaining five minutes to upload it and publish it. That's it. And those episodes usually do about 20 views each. And that's on average. Of course, there are episodes that do much better when it's a topic that's absolutely interesting, like talking about more mature content on Twitch or artesian builds or lapsus. You see the problem? To go ahead and upload the early bird briefing, even though I went ahead and set up everything on the Steam Deck, I mean Stream Deck, to basically automate all the editing. The pop in, the, the switch over. The only thing that I do is I switch between the full face cam and the story cam 
with the push of a button. It's a toggle switch. Everything else is done automatically. No hits. Basically none. So for me to go ahead and spend the extra 15 to 30 minutes to upload the video to YouTube, to copy pasta the title and the description from the podcast version, to then go ahead and go through the tag wizard to find as many tags as possible so the algorithm can recommend it to as many people only for it to not recommend it basically at all because of the kind of content it is. It's just not worth it. It really, really isn't. So this actually does mark the end of doing the early bird briefing and Eagle Eyes on Tech on YouTube for now. Most likely moving forward as well, because it, it's, it's just not worth it. There's just no other way to look at it. It just simply isn't worth it. For whatever reason, this format does way better as a podcast than it does as a video podcast on YouTube. And maybe it could be the fact that there's only, you know, one person here. It, it is just me. A lot of other people, for many different reasons, much, 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 much prefer to hear from guests, to hear multiple hosts. And quite frankly... I don't see a reason to have guests and a co-host. I had a co-host actually in the past with Regret the Van. The thing is right now, there, there's a couple of things. I mean, first off, he does have his own job and his side jobs as well. Uh, the other thing is that for his main job, I'm his boss. So it's a bit awkward to go ahead and, you know, have that kind of relationship. And it's to, to go ahead and have and say, hey, you know, you want to come on and, and do this thing on, on the side, even though, you know, I'm the one who signs your paychecks. That, that, that starts getting a bit weird. So that's that. I will be spending the time that is going to be freed up to, first off, A, regain my sanity. Because hopefully obvious reasons. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 um, how do I phrase this? My work is already very stressful because, you know, I run the whole show. And, you know, to, to go ahead and try to do 60 hours of work in a 40-hour work week is already stressful enough. 
on top of dealing with management, on top of being the manager and all, all that other jazz, then to come home, work on basically another job in streaming, which admittedly, streaming is a much, much, much more fun job. There's no other way to phrase it. But it is just that. It is my hobby. Well, I mean, it's... Well, you, you get it. It's, it's a hobby. It's less... It's a hobby that I treat as another job. Because in order to actually be remotely successful as a streamer, you do have to put in the kind of same discipline into streaming that you would a job. You do have to go ahead and set a schedule for yourself, and I am actually terrible at that. Trying to get me to go ahead and stream at the same time on the weekends, it is, it's just not happening. For one reason or another. There's a lot of work involved. I mean, setting up the stream is almost a half hour job on its own. Grabbing where the console it is, hooking it up, run a test, test sound, go into the mic, going, uh... And then listen back to it to make sure there's no uh, 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 any sort of distortions or anything like that. Focus on the camera, make sure the lighting's re ready. I mean, there's a lot of pre-work stuff I do. And here's the killer thing. There's a lot of people doing VTubing, meaning that they use hopefully not a webcam. Hopefully they are using an iPhone or a RealSense camera to puppeteer a 3D animation. They have to calibrate that every time. Like all I have to do is sit, is sit down, make sure Windows updates didn't screw around with my camera settings, which the only settings that you usually sets up because for whatever reason, Logitech cannot save a setting to save its life Unless you use their software, and if you use their software, kiss a good 10% of your GPU and CPU threshold goodbye, because that software, for whatever reason, just decides, eh, I'm going to do all this stuff in the background for you, just because I can. Actually, maybe I could get away with that now, now that I have an 8-core processor. Hmm, that's something to consider. But as a VTuber... You've got to sit down. You've got to calibrate everything. You got to make sure everything's working. You got to make sure you got to yeah, sit down, fire up the software, make sure that's all working. If you've got a hand tracker, you got to make sure that's working. And you're, from what I've heard from a lot of other VTubers, a lot of them spend about an additional 30 minutes before their start time just testing their model to make sure everything's working. Now, there could be other VTubers out there that don't do that, but let's be perfectly honest. You look at their models and the lack of quality shows. I'll put it that way. The reason why I don't like a lot of VTubers is because I know the model can be so much better. And just either because they're not willing to put in the effort or because they just physically don't have access to the technology required or their model was not made very well. That actually is another big problem. 
is that a lot of these models are just like, oh yeah, this will this will work for you, and, that, and them not knowing better is like, cool, thanks, and they get to it, and it's just like the lips don't sync up, the movements are very very jerky, and like none of it matches up. And then there's some other ones out there that there actually is one specific VTuber I've seen her works, and it's very impressive. Goes by the name of Girl DM, and it you watch how her model acts and matches what she's saying and how fluid the motion is. It just makes you look at the other VTubers and just go, wow. You really can do better than this, but you expect everyone to think that you can't. How did I get off on this tangent? But no, for those, for somehow after all this ranting, you everyone, anyone wants to think, oh, you, is Eagle going to go VTubing? No. You've already seen my face. What's the point? I don't own an iPhone. I don't have a spare $1,500 to spend on a custom high quality. And that's the thing, a high quality model i don't have access i don't i don't even know what the hand trackers are i think it was like what leap motion i don't even think the leap motion hand trackers even exist anymore you gotta go and find you know an older one so no i'll i'll still remain you know entertainer in the flesh and just basically just not even gonna really care if people are just like, oh man, you look weird. And it's just like, you look weird. <laughs> Should I actually do a podcast instead of just go on a random tirade for 15 minutes? All right, first story. Apple is now allowing reader apps to use external links if approved. So this just reeks of what? So what Apple calls a reader app means that it is an app designed primarily to provide access to some form of digital content like magazines, book, book blah, 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 magazines, books, audio, music, or video. Basically, it means that you that whatever the app is, it is for a content platform. Now, what does this all mean? that it can link to an external website. That means that they can go ahead and let the app go to an external website on it. So for example, if Twitch were considered a reader app and did reach the approval for it, if you tried to go ahead and buy bits or buy or, or renew a sub, Twitch could instead use an external link to have it go to their own page where they can process the subs there and not have Apple take a massive 30% cut. Now, why would Apple do this? It's very simple. The Japanese Fair Trade Commission said they had to. Because this 30% cut nonsense and saying you can only use 
their own internal payment provider as the only solution is anti-competitive. So when are we going to see Apple do this? Well, we don't know yet. The other, the other thing that's a big issue is the fact that it's only approved apps. That's a big concern, to be perfectly honest, and one that I'm not too thrilled about. In other news, some iCloud users could receive a payout of, well, an unknown amount of money, but the total amount of the class action lawsuit is $14.8 million. So users can expect to see 73 cents. What this was, was in regards to iCloud users who have paid for extra storage, which then they just, I guess, didn't get. It's actually kind of confusing where the lawsuits originally came from, but unfortunately, it's not really clear what the heck this was in regards to. But if you went ahead and paid for bigger storage in iCloud, you may in fact be entitled for a refund, according to Macworld. To which I say, good luck to all of you. Now, Samsung is getting on board the repair train. They have partnered up with iFixit to have their own internal guides for how to repair their devices to be well and I fix it and also have the parts available from Samsung. Honestly, all great, 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 great news because let's be perfectly honest. Most people are going to be way too afraid to do any sort of repair on their own phones. In fact, a lot of repair shops won't even touch these sort of devices. More and more are starting to now because it's either work on this sort of stuff or perish. But here's something I want to know. If Samsung's going to be more pro-repair and give us the tools we need to get in, will you, Samsung, put in a better solution for removing the battery? Right now, the solution for removing the battery is... I'll just be blunt. It's unacceptable. They use a very strong glue in which you have to use a solvent of some kind to dissolve the glue as much as possible. You cannot use heat at all to soften the adhesive because, of course, if you apply heat, you risk combusting the battery. And if you use heat from the other side, you risk causing permanent damage to the screen. Every other phone out there well, practically every other phone out there 
uses what are called pull tabs. They're strips of glue that a little bit of a tab shows, and if you pull on the tab, the entire, glue, the entire strip of glue comes out with it. Slowly. But even then, if the glue does break when you're trying to pull on it, the glue is soft enough that you can get in there with, well, very soft materials that don't risk damaging the battery to just pry it off. The industrial grade adhesive that Samsung uses is, quite frankly, the amount of force that's required to lift on the battery risks igniting it. Well, that's fine. That's why you should use a professional. Even the professionals are having trouble trying to remove it safely. Do you know what the difference is between a professional repairman and me? In the end, a professional was given a briefing as to what to do, and they get paid. But otherwise, they don't have any sort of magic that gets rid of the glue. They're going to have the same tools as me, plastic spudgers, small screwdrivers, a heat gun, little pry tools, and that's it. There is no magic machine. They just stick a phone in and it comes out fixed. So the thing is, is that if an independent repairman like myself risk causing a fire when, rep when replacing a component like the battery, which will eventually die, the professional has the same exact risk. And this isn't like an Apple sort of excuse where they go, Ooh, wow, we can just go ahead and we, we, uh, we're, we're doing this for safety and whatnot. They just, everyone else has a better way. I just, I just don't get Samsung some days. On the same topic of batteries, the EU is looking into legislation that would require replaceable batteries. And honestly, I'm actually very much on board. Like, no joke. I want to see this move forward. I want to see what this legislation is going to look like and what its requirements are going to be. And, you know, what is going to be, you know, what's 
sort of requirements for what's considered a replaceable battery is going to end up being. But in the end, I guess all we can say is well, we'll only know when the legislation comes out, I guess. But everything on paper looks really, really good. The Board Ape Yacht Club was hacked on April Fools and warned users not to mint. Well then. Well, that's uh, an oopsies. I will say this much. As far as the Board Ape Yacht Club goes, I am surprised they are still going. After their attempt to make a cryptocurrency became a very obvious rug pull and people, there are actually cryptocurrency platforms now supporting the Board Ape Yacht Club's cryptocurrency after the rug has been pulled. We just don't get it, do we? We just really, really don't get it. In other news, Axie Infinity's NFT network was hacked and $625 million of stolen serial codes with a link attached to them were are now gone in a digital heist. I want to know how much they're actually going to get. Because that's the thing with the NFTs. It's much like trying to steal art. You're not going to make any money until you have a buyer for it. This is the problem with NFTs and everyone trying to go ahead and... Well, actually, here's how the scheme works. You make an art. You try to claim that it's worth this much and you go ahead and trade between two wallets you own back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until the blockchain says that it, it, that it in fact has been traded this much and then you dump it off to someone dumb enough to buy it. NFTs have become so polarizing. The only people that are left are people like me who see the scam as it is and people trying to exploit the system. That group of suckers that NFTs need in order for the scam to go through is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And after news comes out that two 20-year-olds are charged with an alleged, alleged, alleged 1.1 million NFT scam defrauding their investors, well, news is going to start getting out that the majority of this NFT stuff is, in fact, used only for self-profit. 
I once again, and I know there's going to be far fewer to answer this question than normally when I ask it, but I have to ask, what is the actual real world benefit to an NFT? Seriously. I have yet to have gotten an answer that isn't complete bull or that I could tear apart in a nanosecond by just going, oh, okay, well, it helps the artist. All right, um, how? The owner of it has no actual legal claim to it. You just say they do because all they have is a serial number and a link. You see the problem? The way NFTs are designed, they don't even do the thing they're supposed to very well at all. Thus, bringing us to a world where, in fact, all NFTs are being used for is fraud. And I said it once and I'll say it again. You know what the easiest way to get rich with NFTs is? Sell a guide on how to get rich with NFTs. All right, let's shift gears radically. Canada is going to ban new gas-powered car sales by 2035. This isn't a new story, but this is a promise that Canada made. And before they make this promise, they have to have a solid infrastructure of charging stations. Because I hate to break it to you, and I feel like I have to say this every single time when I talk about electric vehicles. It's a good idea for an electric vehicle to go from work and home again or a quick grocery run. But if I road trip it out, I have a problem. You need to find a charging station. I have seen a couple of vehicles that are very interesting, though, and it would actually make for a EV um, road tripping extremely fascinating. It's a vehicle from Winnebago, and you can already see where, it's, where this is going just because I said the word Winnebago. It is a small, what's called a Class B RV. A Class B RV means that it is a van chassis and the chassis is still completely intact 
and the entire interior of the cargo van has been outfitted to be a living space. The RV can sleep too. It can seat four. But what this means, because the whole RV is electric, while you're at the charging station, you can just chill out in the back. Like, you want to talk about a good idea for uh, the ideal vehicle for an electric road trip? It's that. Oh, the charger is going to take two hours to fill up the massive battery? Okay, that's fine. We'll just have it take two, two and a half hours while I go going back and just watch some Netflix. Or just make some dinner. Like, I'm telling you, that is actually an incredible concept vehicle. And I really do want to see how, how well it does when it gets out of the concept vehicle stage. But any case, why am I bringing all this up? Why am I bringing up an old story about Canada saying they're going to go, they're going to ban all gas powered sales in 13 years, by the way. Here's a, here's a quick spoiler for you. If a nation says they're going to ban something and they're planning it out for long past the current administration's tenure. Like, for example, if the Biden administration right now promises they're going to do something in 10 years when the Biden administration has a 0% chance of being in office, what does it matter? That's not a bold statement. You're, you're, you're making a wild promise and making it someone else's problem on how to get there. Once again, one of the problems I have with politics. Which then brings up the actual story we're getting to. It is in fact the new corporate average fuel economy standards for model years 2024 to 2026. For passenger cars and light trucks. So the federal government is now saying that consumer vehicles must reach new cons new marks of consumption of both gasoline and also the amount of carbon dioxide they can put out. So, first off, The whole thing is just massive. It is absolutely massive. And this is yet another push to try and just very aggressively phase out gasoline-powered vehicles. I honestly, like, I, this is going to be a controversial statement for me. I hate this kind of regulation. I really do. Because all this does is just force good vehicles 
to rush to gimp themselves and become an inferior vehicle. I would much rather see the free marketplace come up with vehicles like the current F-150. The current F-150, if you don't know, has basically two or no, yeah, two engine options. It had three, but they got rid of the diesel option. They have their standard full, well, actually, no, three engine options for the most part. A direct injection, their standard fuel, fuel efficient, uh, what they call an EcoBoost engine, which does respectively well. A full bore V8 gasoline engine that's codenamed the Godzilla engine. That's just like, hey, you want an old school engine? Here it is. Or the actual best engine option. And I do mean best. It pretty much wins out except in... Oh, no, it actually did, it did beat the Godzilla in the high altitude test. Never mind. It basically beats out the other engines in almost every single application. It is a hybrid transmission. It uses gasoline direct injection and a hybrid system. Cuts down on fuel costs immensely. It can run on just raw electric in certain situations. And for an insane amount of util utilitarity, uh, utility, the alternator systems and everything that can charge the hybrid system, You can just go ahead and use the thing to instead pump out 7.2 kilowatts of power. Yeah, if you are in an emergency situation where the house didn't have power, you could fire up the pickup truck to power the house. I'd rather see systems like that be the reason why we move over to more efficient vehicles. To go ahead and actually come up with clever ways to make more fuel-efficient vehicles still do what we want to and be more ecologically friendly. Like, I'm not going to lie. If I had the money... That would totally be my, that, that F-150 would be what would replace my car. Just straight up. No question about it. Why wouldn't you get the electric Ford Lightning? Well, first off, I know I'm not going to get it. It's, there's no way it's going to be in stock. Like, we're going to see that vehicle, it's going to miss its deadline for starters. Like, the chip shortage and everything has doomed that vehicle to not make its mark. And then second, I rent. I don't have the authority to make modifications to the garage. It's not my garage. I rent. 
so I wouldn't be able to charge it at home. I could trickle charge it on 110, but why? I could go ahead and, since I own the building at work, I could go have a charger set up at work and just charge, <laughs> have the thing just sit trickle charging at home. And then when I'm at work, I actually do the real charging there. But, you know, that's spending way too much extra to be an early adopter for a revolutionary product. Here's the other thing. First gen of any product, you should pass on. Because there's going to be bugs, there's going to be defects, and you don't want to be the one to go ahead and beta test them out. It's just not fun. And then on top of that, I mean, despite owning a business, I don't make that much money. I don't have the money for something like that. I don't even have the money for the fictional F-150 that I want. So, I mean, either way, you just, you gotta do what you gotta do. So, in any case, that's my thoughts on the new average fuel economy standards for 2024 to 2026. We'll see how things go. And I'll just, that'll just be that. It's hard for me to go ahead and look over this documentation and see exactly how bad the restrictions in the cafe standards are just because this this document's massive actually how big is this document if, if i were to print it I told I told my computer to print it and it's I can actually hear the fans whirring up and it's trying to generate a pre preview 356 pages. Oh god. The other problem with electric vehicles right now is also we need to try and get around the hurdle of battery capacity. Remember the Remember the concept vehicle I talked about, that, that Class B RV and charging in two hours? That's not, like, exaggeration. That's about what they're expecting. And if you're road tripping, you know, you're talking about hour-long breaks at charge stations that most likely have you at a grocery store. There's not really a whole lot you can do at a grocery store. You can get snacks. If it's like a Walmart grocery store, there might be like a little subway in there. You can sit down and just have subway, I guess. But there's a new revolutionary battery called quantum batteries that would theoretically be able to recharge an electric vehicle in 90 seconds safely.
Well then, that is much more promising. Now, this is still in the researching phase, but if it does work, this is big news. This could be exactly why I mentioned, you know, don't want to adopt too early. Granted, in the case of electric vehicles, we've had electric vehicles for a long, long time now. When was the first Tesla out? Eight years ago? Nine years ago? Something like that. But this would be a breakthrough level discovery that would be big. And I do mean big. We're obviously going to be keeping a close eye on this. Because something like that? Pretty good. New Dell laptops in the business line are going to use a new technique to simultaneously use Wi-Fi and wire connections to lower latency. The whole concept of these is so that laptops within a business environment can connect to a server and download massive files to work on that much faster. Or one other thing that's actually being really common nowadays in CAD environments is that the big workstation towers, like I use two big old workstation towers that have been decommissioned, that's a thing of the past. More and more CAD workflows and computer processing workloads like that are instead using rack mount workstations. They're using remote workstations inside the data center of the business. This is done for a couple of reasons. One, efficiency. Rather than having everyone have their own personal 200 watt workstation, instead have a bunch of higher end 500 watt workstations and use virtualization to then break them up and only turn them on when they are needed. This kind of connection to, to lower the latency to that workstation means that you could pretty much have workstation class performance and only in a small little 15 watt laptop that's on your lap and not a giant furnace. This could be very, very good. But of course, we, only time will tell how well it'll work. Anyway, bad news. Uh, there was a powerful cyber attack on Russia's civil avi aviation authority servers, and there was no data or backup. Oh, no. Anyway, 
Can it run Doom is never going to be the same thanks to a new ray tracing mod. Yes, ray tracing. For old school Doom. It's, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. And finally, this story. Facebook owners have reportedly paid a lobbying firm to push the message that TikTok is the real threat to our youth. Ah, I see. You know, that's a good, that's an interesting message you're trying to push there. Um, here's my counterpoint. They can both be unhealthy. I'll be perfectly honest. The amount of data I've seen TikTok skim off phones has been absolutely disgusting. Like that's not messaging from a, from a lobbying firm or anything. That is just actual security reports we have seen from independent researchers. There is no reason for a social media app to be skimming my MAC address. That's unexcusable. And Facebook, we already know how much data they skim and how they skim it poorly. And by poorly, I mean they skim the data very efficiently and then keep a bad grip on it so it just leaks out to people that you never ever wanted it to leak out to. Now, I just realized I've been ranting for a full 50 minutes, never took a break. Whoops. So, yay. Folks, that is going to do it for this episode of Eagle Eyes on Tech. Thank you so much for subscribing. I encourage you to check out the other works, and I hope you have a great day. Take care.